obviously there's multiple methods of deploying fiber, right? That's great, right? And, and that's the decision every community needs to make. Again, they're all excellent models. Hey, I'd like to see all the communities do something and try to find a solution that makes sense for them. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with, with two folks that are doing a pretty special project down in Texas and not just in Texas, but one of the southernmost reaches of Texas, where I'm sure it's much hotter there today than it is in my hometown. I'm speaking with Jose Pena, who is the IT director at the city of FAR in Texas. Welcome. Thank you for having us. We uh, are very excited and, uh, you know, we love to talk about what we're doing and we hope to eventually enlighten and, and, and show other communities what we're doing and Hopefully we can be a model that they, if they like our concept of our project can, you know, follow up with questions and we're open to work with anybody. That's wonderful. I think, I think people are going to want to follow up with you on this when they get a sense of, of how this project is um, not just sort of a standard project, if there is one in the municipal space, but is, is quite unique. Uh, we also have uh, the project manager on the, on the show uh, who is um, Guillermo Aguiar who is a partner at Brownstone Consultants. And like I said, he doesn't actually work for the city, but he's a project manager. And I'm sure they call it Team FAR, and I'll bet he's considered to be a strong member of the team. So welcome to the show, Guillermo. Thank you so much, uh, Christopher. We are honored to be a part of this project and seeing how FAR has taken the leadership, not just in South Texas, but uh, as the word gets out, as Jose goes to these national conferences and shares the FAR, the Team FAR story, and that of our region, which traditionally is one of the most underserved regions of the United States. Uh, again, we've provided what we think is we've just built a better mousetrap, right? And uh, it's, it's exciting to share our story. So thank you again. Yes, my colleague uh, Deanne is in San Antonio, and she often speaks of uh, the areas around there as lacking service. Um, I know that there's talk about rural areas around you, although FAR itself has a lot of folks, 80,000 people. Uh, you have that uh, that major bridge that connects you to Mexico and and brings, I saw in one of your videos, all that produce that, that probably I'm eating today. <laughs> <laughs> in the Midwest. Um, and so you're a sizable town, but you are not well connected. And, and there's many rural areas around you. I like to just sort of throw that out there so you don't have to. But what other details should we know, Jose, about your area as we're um, as we start to describe what you're doing? Again, you touched on the uh, underserved area. You know, us as a region here in South Texas, the uh, Digital Inclusion Alliance report, I believe, came out 2019 that found the city of FAR as the number one worst connected uh, city in the country, you know, but our neighbors next door actually made the top five or top 10 as well. You know, we have a uh, Harlingen here next door to us, as well as the city of Bronzeville, which everybody knows now because of SpaceX being there in town. But uh, we now all have started uh, broadband initiatives, you know, and it's one of those things where it's been wonderful that, you know, the city of FAR actually can say was one of the first ones who started pursuing this and actually are actually implementing. And, you know, uh, as we speak, we're actually already starting installing customers. So it's great to see uh, us move forward as a community and, and be able to help our residents. 
Now you you mentioned and and I've heard it in a couple of places that that's ranking as you being one of the the worst connected cities in, in that uh, that study uh, motivated you. But I think you even had this rising up as an issue. I think your mayor may have made it a priority even before then, right? Correct. Ever since our mayor got elected, uh, I believe in 2015, that was one of his priorities. You know, he wanted to solve the homework gap and the, uh, you know, be able to put everybody in a level playing field education wise, because that's something he pushes a lot. Education, it's working with our EDC. Uh, They had started a project. They had already started working with the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and some other uh, school districts and nonprofit organizations actually had gotten our uh, feasibility study, I believe in 2017, which is around the time I came on board. And, uh, you know, that helped us uh, identify our gaps in our areas. And and uh, since then, we had started a pilot project and our EDC and our city invested money in procuring uh, equipment. And we were able to deliver internet to 50 homes to start our pilot project, which we then worked on and and we could see the improvement with our uh, students who again were the homes that we targeted on their improvement so you know something we had started since 2017 2018 you know and then COVID happened and that just kind of moved us forward on we had to do more right and we had to move how do we get to a full-scale production project can I ask about the pilot project? Um, it's one of those things that I feel like non-technical people are like, oh, well, let's just do a pilot. Um, one of the challenges that we've heard from more technical people is that uh, you know you have a lot of costs that are um, that are expected to be you know shared by hundreds or thousands of users, and if you're just going to do that for fifty people, uh, it can be kind of not economical. So, um, how did you make that work? I would say we didn't spend too too much money. Uh, at least, you know, back in those days, I mean, equipment wasn't ex- as expensive and as a scarce resource as uh, supply is nowadays. But, you know, we worked with a local uh, wireless architect here in our region who helped us implement it through a, a wireless connectivity. So we had a base station installed at our, at our fire department that we had in that area of uh, south part of, t- of town, south far. Uh, we put those uh, antennas there. And then the homes had another receiver, uh, receiving antenna, which then got wired to a modem with wireless inside their home. Uh, I want to say we probably at most spent eighty to ninety thousand uh, dollars and deployed all this equipment between the towers and the homes. And but again, it was still wireless connectivity. Uh, we are probably getting about twenty-five megabits to the house, but at least there was service delivering it inside the home. Uh, which is, you know, what we're trying to target. But even with that, you know, we found the pros and cons with everything, right? Wireless connectivity, you know, is is not as strong as a signal as we'd like. And, you know, but it was a great start. And we actually followed that concept of our antennas. And we then deployed a public safety uh, community park project, which we use the same technology and deployed it to other towers. And we're able to deliver uh, wireless uh, coverage at all our city parks. And uh, we also installed surveillance cameras for uh, safety uh, around all the gathering areas of city parks, as well as installed emergency call boxes. And that was another great initiative uh, that we were able to provide using the same concept of wireless communication with towers. But uh, we knew that wasn't a long-term 
as far as uh, to deliver a high quality service to a home, you know, we know we had to be hardwired and we looked at options. But again, once COVID happened, you know, we, we wanted to be able to move forward, but make the best decision possible, not just a quick fix uh, or something for the short term. We wanted the a long-term solution and, you know, in reviewing all the different options, you know, that's where we got to where the model that we're following, it was very, very good learning experience and it did help a lot of families. And, you know, we can kind of see with some of those uh, videos we've published, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Well, I think the there's the technical issue that you certainly faced and then also uh, a legal issue in Texas. And um, I think, you know, Guillermo, you might want to come in on this one, too. But I'm I'm curious when you first started thinking about going down this route, uh, I, I suspect Mont Bellevue had been being built. And so you had a sense that some cities in Texas had the authority, but there's a widespread belief that the law is stronger in Texas in terms of outlawing broadband. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly seems to outlaw some telecommunications services. Um, But I'm just curious, how did you grapple with that? And was that a concern at all? Uh, Just learning about all this stuff. We did work, like I said, through with our EDC and with our local school district, uh, which is how we were communicating through our, you know, in that initial pilot study, which is working with them, getting the list of students who were low income uh, qualifiers so that we could target their homes to provide them the service. But you know, and, and when we fully started looking at our long term, that's when we really started looking at what's the feasibility of this being done. And that's when, uh, again, when Brownstone was on board and when we we're finalizing and working with our engineering group that actually came and partnered with us to do the engineering design. You know, that's who then they referred us and we heard of Mount Bellevue. Uh, Mount Bellevue had, has and had really great people there, you know, they're very welcoming. And I actually visited their town uh, last year, you know, we wanted to know, hey, what are we getting into? Right? Mm -hmm. What is this our city offering internet services and, and, you know, building a call center and deploying fiber to the home, we visited them, they're very uh, welcoming, Uh, we're able to go and schedule and participate in a site visit installation. And uh, we learned a lot from them. They were able to also help uh, push that barrier down in regards to the court rulings that, you know, in Texas, broadband is considered a utility, you know, and not a telecommunication service has helped us. And that's paved the way for other uh, municipalities to to be able to move forward and consider options. And uh, again, there's lots of different models. Mm-hmm. Uh, going a network and helping your communities. We basically did follow the Mont Bellevue standard, which is a full service, fully maintained, run and operated network owned by the city. So the only thing I'd like to add to that is I don't think we can say enough about how much Mont Bellevue helped us. Uh, you have a gentleman who was a former Navy SEAL, a city manager, just used to breaking paradigms, doing things that people say mm-hmm. is not possible. So they really spearheaded this in, in our in my opinion, at least. Um, obviously, Cobb Bentley, the design engineer, had the foresight to bring them on board. And really, uh, again, Dwight Thomas, not enough can be said about him either. Just a, a brilliant person with respect to network design and an even better person. So um, them being so amicable and open and helping us out, that kind of has, has paved the way and, and set the standard for Jose and, and our group to do the same thing and paint it forward. So 
We're now advising even loosely pro bono on, on multiple projects, multi-billion dollar fiber project, which again, I never thought I'd say uh, eight <laughs> months ago, but again, those are the type of things that, that they entrusted in us to, to pay for it again to, to others. Excellent. Yes. And um, it's, it's really exciting to see. And I, and I can't stress enough that there really are people matter in this, that um, the way they help each other out and the way that I see that you're then willing to, to pay that forward, like you just said, to, to share with others. It's all about partnerships, Christopher. Um, the National Broadband Association brought us, took us under their wing. Uh, Scott Jackson with Gray Bar, um, just everybody, Gary Bolton, they've, they've been amazing. Put us in contact with the right people. And it's all about that, just good people that are fair businessmen and women that want to do the right thing. And that's what this is all about. Yes. Excellent. So, so anyway, you're, you're inspired then uh, by this and, and you're not sufficiently intimidated perhaps. <laughs> so you uh, decide to move forward with a full fiber to the home. Um, I think it's important to note uh, something that, uh, that you had, you told me Jose, when we, we were planning this, which is that um, because of uh, poverty in the area, um, all of the schools have a large number of people that use the school and lunch program. And so every household that's attached to the schools then qualifies for the ACP. Um, did, was that important for your your willingness to take this on? Definitely. Again, that kind of speaks about the area that we live in. You know, uh, it's uh, an area where you know we want to be able to to work with everybody, and and let alone our mayor understands that. You know, which is why you know we even started with building and deploying. Uh, uh, surveys, you know, we thought about different price points and we surveyed the community and the price points, you know, everybody favored a particular, that that was the most important thing, affordability. Because again, you know, we could have fiber services, but uh, if still half of our population could not afford it, it's like you don't have it, right? And, and uh, you know, we wanted to get a very affordable price point, which is our EDC and our mayor and our elected officials did a wonderful job. Our two residential plans is $25 for 500 megabits up and down, as well as $50 for a gigabit up and down. And, uh, you know, and this is before uh, these price points were done before uh, ACP uh, actually came out, which is, uh, you know, from the old EBB plan from last year and then transitioning to ACP this year. You know, it just so happened that, hey, we hit that magic number. And uh, it was wonderful that, you know, now with ACP, that was some a project I took on on myself and working with our grants department here in our city, which is does an amazing job finding us resources. And, uh, you know, we're able to satisfy all the information that the FCC and ACP required for us to become fully registered city. And, uh it, it, it's been great just since we posted that, we've got a lot more feedback. We're able to identify that uh, 6,800 households within our zip code actually already make use of this funding, which is great because, uh, again, uh, we want to continue spreading the message to our community for all the rest who don't know about it, uh, help them qualify. But, but yes, we do have three public school districts uh, within the city boundaries, as well as two public charter schools as well. And uh, again, all five of these school districts are part of the free school lunch program. And uh, we've started working with them and uh, notifying them as far as, uh, you know, helping us relay this information to the parents and, and facilitating those uh, 
letters that the parents need in order to sign up for ACP. When I hear your price point, um, the first thing I did was think, is that correct? Did I did I hear that right? Uh, that is uh, the most aggressive price point that I've seen in in many years in terms of uh, of affordability, and and I think that's really impressive and, and needed. Um, and I you know there are I'm a champion of municipal networks, but many of them have felt that they could not set a price point that low, um, even if they they wanted to. Um, I know that you don't want to get too much into the the financials, um, but when we were talking, you'd mentioned that you're getting some uh, rescue plan money and that that's going toward the network. And I assume that that's somewhat helpful in paying off those um, those uh, the the what the for the startup costs basically to get the network built out. Um, but I wasn't sure if um, you mean know, when I asked you about it, I think you said that you expect that you're going to have so much of a, of a take rate. So many will use the network that uh, you'll be able to make it cash flow even at that rate. Uh, that's correct. You know, and th- those are the numbers. Like I said, uh, I'm an IT person. I try to I love working the technology aspect. But, you know, we have some wonderful individuals throughout our city with our legal, with our EDC with our city managers, with our finance department, they they're experts in their fields, and uh, you know, in working at that price point and the number of customers, and and basically because of our price point, be able to bring and help a, a lot of these families before even ACP uh, was was an option for us. You know, for for that, it's like we just can't wait to finish as quickly as possible to be able to provide this service to everybody. Uh, because it will help us, you know, it's going to make uh, a really good impact on the our education system. It's going to be a really good impact on our commercial businesses. It's going to be a really good impact on our economic situations where now uh, our residents are able to work from home and, you know, work for organizations anywhere in the country that allow remote work. And, you know, it's going to help bring more people to town as well. And hopefully our town will flourish and, and, uh, you know, be a a lot better off. But uh, again, uh, the numbers, it's one of those things where we have our set number of customers we want to get to. And uh, we also are big with our industrial customers as well. Like you mentioned, we do own and operate an international bridge and uh, we work with them as well. And uh, we want to be able to uh, supplement our city budget and be able to put more firefighters, more police officers on the streets. You know, we want to be able to build more community parks, uh, which is another initiative our mayor brought, built or doubled or tripled our park space since he's been in office. And, uh, you know, it's just we want to be able to help the community uh, improve and, and get better. To use your words of not sufficiently intimidated, so our mayor, again, is an incredibly dynamic person. He's a physician. Um, uh, childcare, and he, uh, the, the the mayorship is is almost, and I don't want to say almost like a side gig, but you know he he operates on on pediatrics all day long, and then he runs this incredibly dynamic city. So not only are we doing all these things that Jose just talked about, but we went to design in September of last year. We are seventy percent built out. <laughs> <laughs> You, you, in this in this global supply chain environment, with everything, but especially fiber, Corning, and again, Corning's been amazing. But most of the the big incumbent providers are not even taking on new clients. Right. So again, it takes a team. Uh, it took the gauntlet being thrown by the mayor, the commission, 
city manager leadership. Uh, again, uh, Jose's being very, very humble. Uh, well, are you are you on the order of like thirty thousand premises that you're passing? What's the what's the rough number? So we we need to pass every single home within the city. It's you know depending on the count whether it's multifamily or not, but twenty two thousand to thirty thousand plus every single business as well. Literally, that's the mayor's mandate. I need a handhold in front of every single home and business within well, so, pretty much a year. So for, for people who who are, or have listened to uh, this show for a while but don't have a sense of that, um, Longmont, um, Colorado is a little bit bigger than that. Uh, Longmont had a bunch of fiber already in the ground, and they had a four- to five-year plan to do what you're doing. And and when you when I was looking at it, I was thinking it was 18 months. I was thinking, that's aggressive. To know that you're at 70% now, one year later, um, I, I feel like we do have to spend a minute talking about Graybar because um, you know we spent the last year talking about material shortages and I wouldn't have thought this is possible. The mayor has, has given us a lot of tough, tough challenges, which the FAR team has, has been up to task to meet, You know, whether it be parks, new fire stations, doubling, tripling the, bri- the bi- bridge traffic internationally. But this was the one that when he said, okay, I want this in one year, um, I, I for one didn't know where to start. And I, I, I thought we need partners. So somebody somehow put us in touch with Graybar. Actually, it was Cobb Bentley. Uh, we started to develop a relationship with Scott Jackson and Eddie Champ, and things just went from there. Again, Scott being on the National Fiber Board, uh, brought all the partners in and we kind of said, okay, let's show America and the world what we can do. And then we'll just run with that. And, and as we like to say, as the group, it's just, let's just run it back. So uh, different counties, cities all around us are, are now looking at the model and wanting to replicate. So yeah, they, they, they've been phenomenal. Corning. So Corning has 14,000 employees directly across our bridge that do the wiring harnesses, the MOBs, et cetera, et cetera. Those then come across our bridge, go up to Houston, New York, et cetera. And you uh, steal again, some of them. Yeah, so that's basically what we're doing. We're intercepting uh, some of that. that Holding them that, hostage for reels of fiber. Yes, and the beautiful thing is you might have seen in one of those videos that Gray, Bar and Corning uh, have produced uh, documenting this journey is we're going to now start kicking fiber back over to Reynosa, which is our sister city. And our goal is eventually to get back to the Reno- to the Corning plants and be able to get ultra high speed to them as well. So that's that's the big picture vision that the mayor and, and our commission and city manager came up with. That's that's remarkable. And then and even through that, Jose, oh, let me ask you, Jose, if you want to add anything to that. Sure. It, it's really like like Guillermo's mentioning, it's really this partnership. You know, we're all in this together. We're all going to succeed together. Uh, nobody knows how to fail be, between all of us. You know, uh, that we all know that, hey, everybody has to be successful together and uh, we want to be the model we want to be able to showcase that this can be done. And, uh, you know, it's working with our engineering and with Graybar, you know, as soon as these construction plan sets, high level designs are done, we come up with, you know, they, they come up with a, a estimated quantity volumes. And, you know, from there, we take it to city commission for buying, uh, procuring all the supply and the material and, and securing these orders, right? Which is the most important. Uh, people want to make sure that, you know, you've issued purchase orders to them and you're going to satisfy and work with them and deliveries. And and believe me, we've gotten a lot of our construction material and uh, there has been some products that had been backlogged. And, you know, that product actually now is kicking in in massive quantities, which is almost just perfect when the time that we needed uh, to finish the installation of all these neighborhoods. But 
again, all our partners, you know, who Graybar brought together, uh, it'd be uh, Blue Diamond or Hubble or Precision, Corning, all these different partners that worked with uh, uh, all the solutions, you know, working together with uh, Brownstone and Cop Family and Associates, our engineering group, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, you also have to have the right team together out in the field, which is where uh, STX Underground, our contractor, really has uh, taken this and uh, run with it, right? The, they're the labor force, you know, they're the ones who are, they're our force multiplier out in the field, you know, Brownstone working with them and, and, and making sure everything's getting done. But at the end of the day, it's from point A to point Z and uh, everybody's got their, you know, their items to take care of. What I think is very important that's maybe not unique to us, but it, it really shines with this very large group that Jose and I just went through. There's a lot of mutual respect. There is never any screaming and yelling. There is never any pressure. It's just, hey, guys, I'm in a bind here. How can you help me with this? Yep. We all get together, huddle up. And it's just, again, it's just beautiful to see this. We, we've heard horror stories about how stuff goes in, in, in the industry at large or has been at times with, you know, C-level suite executives yelling at, at other C-level suite executives. There's none of that here. It's just, again, uh, based on mutual respect, um, and we all help each other. Did you have uh, a group that was meeting prior to uh, working on this project? I mean, like sometimes when I hear that level of of of, of like uh, of just teamwork, it's because the group have been meeting once a month for years to just go over other IT challenges and share problems and that sort of thing. But Guillermo, you're shaking your head. This just came new. So I uh, again, aside from programming in Fortran and some other stuff, C plus. 30 years ago in college, again, I, I, I dig ditches. That, that's what I do for a living. I'm a construction manager and a project manager. So, and again, the mayor threw the gauntlet down and said, hey, Jose, Guillermo, crew, city manager, you guys have to build this in a year. No excuses. Or that's basically the mandate. Or I get fired very nicely. But, uh, you know, that's that's kind of uh, the, the level of excellence that the mayor demands of all of us. So, again, we just had to scramble and figure out how to make it work. And, again, that's just something that that's kind of part of that far – ethos is that again failure is not an option we're, we're going to make it no matter what so no there was no previous contact no prior but again we we started hitting up every event we could um you know we've, we've been on the road quite a bit or on even the road even more now jose is going to be uh, a speaker at the calyx event in las vegas pretty soon here in front of two three uh, thousand uh people and again I, I that's another one we needed to talk about is calyx i think later on just how easy that solution has been um, I don't think people understand as complicated as a network like this is, if you pick the right partners, you use the right equipment, this is almost kind of like a plug and play Lego type thing where just, you know, voila, it works. And then I think even we were astounded when we first went live on January 20th, uh, 2022. Right. And uh, yeah, to answer that question, no. I mean, it was really the only people internally was, uh, again, myself working with our uh, EDC and with our director of external affairs uh, there with our office of our mayor, you know, just looking at, hey, let's come up with options uh, internally just between us as to, hey, well, if we do wireless connectivity, well, here's the pros and cons. If we do, you know, a middle mile initiative, uh, well, here's the pros and cons and it'll take us longer and things like that. But when we engage Brownstone and Cobb Fenley, which are, were our first to uh, uh, partners for this project, we're like, hey, we're looking either 
one year or two year, and it's either going to be in-house or outsourced. You know, those were, we got four options, right? You know, and uh, after looking at those, well, you know, we're, we're outsourcing and, and as far as our construction uh, is going and uh, just, we looked at all the different options, looked at all the different providers. And uh, I think we made some very good decisions and uh, we are very happy with all our partners and everybody's being able to deliver product to us, you know, Calix, uh, has been amazing to work on, you know, with our systems teams here in our office and uh, with the equipment and getting us the products as well. Our network is kind of uh, not complex, but a lot of redundancies built into it. You know, we have a lot of third-party partners who we work with and everybody puts their uh, two cents in regards to, hey, well, what's our point of failure? Okay, what's our how do we satisfy that point of failure to make it, you know, go an extra level, right? Because again, uh, we built this public network. Uh, you know, we're also working with extreme networks. So they're the foundation uh, with their fabric networking design uh, that is traversing this 100 gig network internally. Uh, and then working with Calix to deliver that home use service of delivering it from the data center to everybody's homes and the uh, solutions uh, that we're able to offer with their experience IQ and their, their protect IQ modules all at no cost to our constituents. You know, it's been really good. You know, uh, everybody's been excellent and uh, it's been great. So you asked about finances earlier as well. So not only built out in pretty much a year, or, you know, slightly, uh, delayed beyond a year, but very, very fast, as you well know, for those of the, of you who are not uh, as familiar with the industry, but also the cost. You were you're incredulous to hear uh, $25 for 500 up and down, 50 for for a gig uh, symmetrical. So our pass-through cost per home is significantly under what we see in the rest of the United States. Um, there's been a lot of new projects announced just over the last couple of weeks, and that's kind of one of the things that we do. We automatically calculate uh, the, the, the pass-through per home cost. Really, really good labor costs, uh, not gouging anybody as far as overhead. Now that people have seen that they can that they can make this $25, $30 uh, model work, now you tie in ACP and it's basically giving free internet uh, almost to everybody. So the entire region is now trying to follow uh, FAR's example on that. Obviously, there's multiple methods of deploying fiber right it could be a full public private partnerships you know we've seen and, and know of other communities pushing you know where a third party private industry is going to come in and they build it out and that's great right and and that's the decision every community needs to make you know there's others who build a a, a uh, an open access network and then third party partners will deliver the last mile and uh, again they're all excellent models i say I'd rather see, you know, me as a person in technology, like, hey, I'd like to see all the communities do something and try to find a solution that makes sense for them, right? We did uh, work with our EDC, and uh, we did work with some of the, the ARPA uh, funding to be able to, to secure funding for this project. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things that, like I said, we have very smart financial people running our city who were able to make this project work. And, and, and that's how we did eventually be able to hit those price points, right? Because we're owning and operating 
everything in in house. You know, we're not going to be paying other than maintenance fees for the equipment we own to operate and you know keep using. But you know, we're not paying uh, any other fees to anyone else. You know, it's really going to be owned and run by the city, which is you know exactly what Mont Bellevue did. And I was just going to say, and uh, Dwight told me they came in quite um, below their expected costs of construction as well. So if you can, if you can hit that as well, then you're just, uh, it's basically home run after home run. Um, Can you give me a sense of what people are saying that are using the network? Uh, Is it, is it something that uh, people are really enthusiastic about? Definitely. You know, it's one of those where, you know, we have a few people who, who got filmed. So after we came from our conference at the, uh, Fiber Broadband Association Conference, you know, that's uh, really a couple weeks after that we started, you know, with fully uh, starting to deploy in our first neighborhood and uh, our media team was able to go out there and talk to a few residents and uh, is on a, a video we posted, but, you know, the feedback has been really good, you know, they have no issues with it, um, you know, it's fast it just works, right? You know, the coverage has been excellent. You know, we've, we installed in a home that for our area, you know, we use a lot of cinder block in homes and exterior, but it, this home actually had cinder block walls inside that made the division, you know, it wasn't <laughs> just sheetrock and, uh, you know, two by fours, right. like additional homes and, and things like that. But, you know, the ladies like, oh yeah, it works throughout my home. And they just have a standard U4, wi-fi 6 router which we provide at no cost uh and has no issues with coverage inside our home or outside our home you with, know? with 30 devices lat- latched onto the it as well <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, it, it's and it's actually one of the very first resident we installed when we ran our very first trial to the home and and uh you know we selected that home because uh that household had five kids and going to to school you know it's one of those where you know, we just hear great things from them. And uh, they do have, like I said, we have a very uh, smart kids here in our area. You know, our, our regional education system does very well. I think we're ranked first uh, throughout the different uh, regional uh, education systems here in the state. But uh, again, we hope that this is going to help them get better. And like I said, hopefully build up our our, our region and, and that others follow. But uh, yeah, we've heard great things from everybody. I'll ask if there's anything else you want to add um, before we close out the interview. But um, when uh, last year, it looked like the rescue plan dollars were not going to be as easy to use for broadband solutions, particularly in areas where there may be cable coverage, even if it's unaffordable for most. Um, you know, it was uh, Ramiro Gonzalez and and the mayor of Brownsville who uh, we were able to get in touch with through uh, their partners, uh, Lit Communities, who um, they were really helpful in with a coalition um, among other mayors across the country uh, pushing the White House. And so I'm just so excited. I know they're moving forward with the project. You're moving forward. And I I actually, after I spoke with you the other day, Jose, I reached out to some folks in D.C. to say, I want to let you know that the people who fought to make the changes to make sure that that money would be able to be used by communities like FAR, they're using it and and it's making a difference. And it's just it's really great because sometimes I, a lot of our shows, we spend time talking about things that are broken. 
but it's just it's terrific that we're able to take this um you know this this uh epidemic and pandemic and to uh make sure that we were getting help out to folks that traditionally have been left behind and and to make sure that we can actually build a better future for for those kids make sure that they're getting their education and so this is really hopeful may, may i highlight one really important stat that the uh state of texas control comptroller's office the bdo office which is running all this so according to their recent studies that were issued week before last, 92% of South Texas is covered by internet of some sort. 42% of Texas as a whole has high speed. South Texas has only 12% high speed internet. Just a very, very, very neglected area with respect to this. So we do appreciate what lit communities, what the mayor of Brownsville, what all our our advocates have done, and you guys as well, right? I took some time to read through your um, websites, affiliated websites and whatnot. The outreach that y'all are doing is amazing, and we thank you for that. Well, it's just, it's great knowing that people are out there doing something with it. <laughs> so um, anything you want to add, Jose? You know, we hope to continue building this network and continue to deploy it to to now to 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 the rest of our community. You know, we're still on in construction, Right. So our project was divided into three sectors geographically because, uh, you know, to help build the network quicker. And, uh, you know, we're going to be doing this. Like I said, we just started with the home installations in our south south portion of town. And uh, hopefully once uh, construction finishes in central and then north part of town. But, you know, our goal is to finish here very quickly and uh, look forward to working with everybody and and uh, uh, being successful with everybody on the team. The concept of Team FAR comes from an initiative that we started a few years ago through the Quality Texas Foundation. Uh, it's a nonprofit that, that helps organizations in private industry and public sector uh, uh, work on doing process improvements. And uh, we're very excited and very happy that this year we won the their governor's award, which is uh, given by the governor of the state of Texas as the, the best organization in the state. And uh, hopefully here, our goal is to go for the Malcolm Baldridge Award next year at the handed out by our president. And uh, again, that's where that team concept where everybody works as one and uh, including, like I said, any partner that comes to work for us and with us, you know, we're all in it together. Workforce. That's such an important component with $65 billion coming down. So Jose, I didn't even tell you about it. So Texas A&M uh, just contacted us that they have a $10 million grant for training. So Lean Six Sigma, the similar types of things that y'all are doing with the Texas Quality Foundation and the White House uh, Baldridge effort. So now we can start spreading amongst our peers, some of the other county cities, you know, some of this same type of training, not just in, in Lean Six Sigma, for example, but project management. Uh, OSHA, uh, construction safety, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just such an important com component that we need to be able to uh, scale this type of, of endeavor across the country. Uh, thank you. Thank you both so much for, for taking the time. Thank you for leading these efforts and making them make sure they get done. Uh, it's been wonderful having you on. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, again, look forward to uh, speaking later on. And like I said, we're always available in case you ever have any questions. Thanks, Christopher. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. 
Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.